Welcome to the Gathering Church. We're so glad that you're with us. My name is, is Robbie Denson. I'm the executive pastor here at the Gathering. Our, our lead pastor got the chance to take a vacation, and so he is gone. He's on the beach. He's wearing his only tank top. I know that because I was there when he got it, and we got it at some weird goat place heading to Atlanta one time. And so he is just probably chilling, getting a tan, going to come back refreshed. And then I'm going on vacation. I'm going to be in my tank top chilling and just we're just glad that you're with us this morning. I don't know if you can feel it, that feeling. I know the moms in here can. That feeling is summer coming, right? I, my, my family, we are, this is our first year having kids in school in our home and it's been like freedom. It's like, oh wow, this is great, you know? And my wife can sense that freedom is coming to a tragic end here very soon. And you know, I worked through the summer and so nothing's changing for me, but we, we're, we're excited to get into our summer at the gathering, and we love doing really great series in the summer, and this is one of them as we transition into summer, and so this has been a blast. I want to say thank you and welcome to everybody joining us online. We have over 100 people join us online from the Asheville area, the surrounding areas, and even, even from all over the country, and so we love that you're with us. If you're here in the Asheville area, we would love it. If you would come and join us on a Sunday, we would love to get to know you, to meet you, and for you to, you to meet us. This morning, we're in part three of a really great series that we've been in called You Asked For It. Oftentimes, the church is answering questions that nobody is asking. Oftentimes, and this happens in missions, on the missions field too, where the church goes to answer a question and solve a problem, but that community's not asking that question, and they don't need that problem solved. And so we thought, let's figure out what questions people are asking, and they just flooded in. And, and we started this series week one by answering the question, is Christianity the only way to heaven? And it was just a great, great message. And last week was so, so powerful. Uh, we talked about our convictions around what the Bible says and what the gathering believes around the LGBTQ community, and it was a powerful week, and I would just encourage you, um, if you missed last week, it was Memorial Day weekend, so if you missed, I would go back to our website, gatherashville.org backslash live, and check out those messages to see where this series has taken us so far. This morning, the message is titled, Putting Down Shame. Putting Down Shame. We had a few questions around this idea of shame and of guilt. And the question that stood out the most was this. I know that God has forgiven me for my past mistakes, but how do I move past the guilt? How do I move past, I know what the church says, I know what the Bible says, but that doesn't align with the way that I feel. I believe it to be true, but I still have guilt sitting inside of me so deeply and it hurts. And so before I get started this morning, I want to address the, the question. I want to address the semantics of this question, really. And honestly, I want to correct it. The, the, the person who wrote this question, if you're here today, you did not ask a, a wrong question. But the conversation around this question is found in a more complete understanding of what guilt really is. And even more so, we have to understand the unique differences between the word guilt and the word shame. Guilt is something you can feel, but still know that you are a good person. In fact, the reason that you feel guilt is because you understand the thing you did 
does not align with who you are as a person. For example, I can carry guilt for speaking in a demeaning way towards my wife, but I know in my core, in my character, that that is not who I am as a person. I had a moment where I demeaned someone, but I, at my core, am not a demeaning person. I can feel guilt, but no, that's not who I am. Guilt is actually a reminder of who you are. It's a reminder of who you are at your center, at your core. Guilt, in a lot of ways, if handled appropriately, can be a catalyst towards conviction and repentance and change. But shame is something different. And I believe that understanding the difference between guilt and shame it will help us to understand the context I'm coming from in today's message. It's why the message is called putting down shame rather than putting down guilt. That word shame, that emotion shame, is related to who you are as a person. Our character, who you see yourself to be. And so the difference in guilt and shame is really, the best way I could describe it is how you communicate to yourself. Because guilt says this. Guilt says, what I did was bad. That's not me. But shame says, because of what I did, I am bad. I am not worthy of forgiveness because of what I've done. Because of what I did, I would not be a good mother. Or because of what I've done, I am not a good mother. I can't be a a supporting wife or a loving husband or a father. Because of what I've done, I am bad. It's how I see myself. And the unfortunate thing about shame and just the human psychology, I believe, is that some of us use guilt and shame, either or, because it does something for you. It provides you with something. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Some people use guilt and shame as a form of accountability. If I let go of my past, I'm excusing my past. And I want to be better than my past, so I've got to live in the tension of shame because if I let it go, I'm excusing myself. If I let go of this shame that has a grip on me, that's controlling me, that's, that's keeping me where I don't want to be, if I let go of that, I'm telling myself that what I did was okay and my behavior is excused. Sometimes when it comes to putting down guilt and shame, we put ourselves between a rock and a hard place, and we live our lives in that tension and in that friction, confused, angry, and frustrated. So here's my goal for you this morning. I want you to see that letting go of guilt and shame doesn't excuse your behavior. When you put down the guilt and shame, what you're actually doing is believing God is who he says he is. When you put down the guilt and shame, what you're doing is believing that God, what God says about you is who you are. I want to frame this conversation around the idea of shame because it has the potential to steal our joy today. And some of you know all too well what I'm talking about. And it has the potential to steal our potential for tomorrow. 
It's sneaky because what it can do is shape the way that we view God. It's unfortunate, but I talk to people with an uncomfortable amount of regularity here at the Gathering Church who maybe are, are newer and you're like, you come in to see, and you're like, man, I have not been to church in years. I grew up in church. I had a Christian home. But what I thought about God is not the way you're presenting him to me today. I'm seeing God differently at the Gathering Church because for so many years I was taught that God is nothing more than a scorekeeper in the context of this game called life. And whether I do well at life or I do poorly at life, God will adjust the score accordingly. So I don't know how you're viewing God this morning, but I want to address it. And maybe you've got to shift how you view God. The weight of shame that we carry around affects the way that we view God, and it's like a self-imposed prison that we put ourselves in. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And we're going to talk a lot about the life of Paul today, but what Jesus says here, I want to be breathed over this entire message. And so listen to what he says in verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's not on the screen, but I, wanna, I was looking over my notes this morning. I want to read 29 and 30. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How many of us could use rest for our souls? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My goal this morning is to present a view of God that compels you to come to him. A view of God where you look at him as a loving father and you're drawn to him without hesitation, without low expectations, without shame or guilt, but you're drawn to him because in him you can find rest and you need rest so badly. Know this today. God wants to give you rest. I, I want to do something that my wife does with me every now and then. She can tell I'll be, I get quiet when I'm thinking and I'm starting to overthink and it took We've been married nine years now, and it took about seven for her to realize I need to get into Robbie's head because something is in his head, and I need to mess that around with that. And she'll look at me sometimes, and she'll just say, Robbie, just take a breath. And I look at her, and I go, was it that obvious? <laughs> she says, yeah, take a breath. And so we sit on the couch, and we go, I take a rest in that moment. So I'm going to count to three, and I, I want this. Let's just take a rest with me. Take, take a breath with me, okay? One, two, three. We're going to dig today, right? We're going to do a little bit of digging, and, and maybe something, something, something hits, something that you've been burying, something that's got control of you, but you've done a good job burying it to not have to deal with the emotions from it, from how it's controlling you and how it's brought anxiety and shame into your life. We may touch on that today, and it may bring negative emotions. I just want you to breathe and know that today, just for a moment, you're going to take rest. And come to Jesus. I love what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We're talking about the way you view God today, but 
here's an interesting question. Have we ever thought about the way that God views us? I think understanding the way that God views me would help me to see how I should there in return view him. And it's just simple. God's view of you is in the context of creation. When God created, created Adam and Eve, he set them free in the garden. Do you know why God set them free in the garden? Because he enjoyed watching it. He enjoyed watching Adam and Eve live in the freedom that he created them for. God's intention for your life is freedom. God loves to watch you and I live in freedom. He wants to set you free. But the tendency so often is to allow the shame to rob us of the freedom God wants for us. Let me just give you some real clear examples of that. Just maybe that's even happening this morning. There are people in here today, I know because I used to be one of them. I was a middle school boy. I was a high school kid. I got into some things I shouldn't have been getting into. And I remember, and there's some of you know what I'm talking about today even maybe moving into a moment of worship, and you're not sure how, how much am I really allowed to worship? Because the moment the words start, they pierce my soul, but at the same time, my past enters into my mind. And maybe your past is real present. Maybe your past is, 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 real, is real recent. And you feel that moving into worship is something that you're not allowed to really do and shame's got a grip on you or maybe when we talk about life groups which we do so often you can sign up after service or online maybe when we talk about life groups it excites you and frustrates you because the idea sounds great but you know that you're not comfortable taking the mask off because you're not sure the people around you can handle how ugly you really are shame has a grip on us and it steals our joy and robs us of our hope for tomorrow. There's one more way, there's another way, and there's many ways actually, that shame works its way into our lives that I, I want to address. For some of us, and this, isn't, this is important to, to address because this is real, shame crept in because of something that was done to you, right? Maybe something happened to you when you were a child and it's caused you to distort your identity. Maybe something happened to you when you were a young child and, and now you've got kids of your own and it, you're, you're a father, yes, but you're not sure that you can do this because of something that happened to you and shame's got a, a hold on you. Maybe something happened in your marriage that you had no control over and someone stepped out of line and because of that, you view yourself differently. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't provide the way that I should. If some, maybe something happened to you and there's shame. And it's got a grip. Shame is sneaky. Shame can drive your life, but it can never take you to a place of peace. Shame is silently choking us of our purpose. And if You've been at the gathering church for any amount of time. You know that we will not stand for that. We exist for four reasons. We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. And we want you to discover your purpose. 
And we will not stand for anything or anyone getting in the way of you discovering your purpose. And so we attack the tough issues. It's one of the reasons that we exist. We believe in your purpose is the ability to make a difference. So many of us live wanting to make a difference in the world, but we're not sure how. We've got to discover our purpose. But shame robs us of that exploration. I want to talk about three things that contribute to our shame, and then I want to talk about three things to help us in putting down the shame. First thing I want to talk about that contributes to our shame is painful regret. Painful regret. This is one of the building blocks that the enemy uses to create a wall between you and the freedom found in Christ. Painful regret creates a point of leverage for the devil. And oftentimes, and I, and I, I like to refer to the devil in, in ways that Scripture does, and one of the ways that Scripture refers to the devil is the great deceiver. The deceiver uses this point of leverage to tell us lies about who we are. And what Scripture wants to do is call out those lies and replace them with truths. We see a picture of Paul's life where he was doing things that would create extreme pain for him, extreme regret for him. Many of us understand Paul to be a great man of God, a follower of Jesus, and an author of a majority of the New Testament letters to the church. And all of those things are true, but the, he was also a mass murderer. Some would even say that Paul was a terrorist. Paul wanted to see a demise to the movement Jesus had started with his death and resurrection. And he took it personal. On one occasion, Paul is overseeing the death of a young follower named Stephen. And Stephen is in front of the Sanhedrin, the religious elite. And he's standing trial. And Stephen sees what's happening here. There's no out for him. And so Stephen just goes all in as he communicates what he thinks about these these guys who are misrepresenting who God is. And Stephen goes all in, and he just gives them the business. He just gives them the business, and he just, he just reveals to them their hypocrisy and how evil they are. And in Acts chapter 7, we see what happens to Stephen and the response of the Sanhedrin to what he spoke over them. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears. They didn't want to hear what Stephen was saying. Yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who is Paul. <laughs> at a young age, Paul was pursuing the mass murder of Christians. And this is just one occasion where Paul oversaw the murder of people who chose to live in the freedom Christ provided. Paul had a, a reason to feel immense regret, immense pain from the past. But after an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, 
His life changes. God did a work in the life of Paul. And here's the crazy thing. Paul let God do the work. Paul let God. That's important to recognize. Paul allowed God to get acquainted with just how messy he was and do something miraculous even still. By the logic that so many of us operate in, Paul should have had a conversation with Jesus on that road and said, Jesus, listen, I believe that you're real. I thank you for pursuing me. But what you don't understand, Jesus, is that I've done too much wrong to receive something so good. And so I'll have to pass. And I just thank God that God does not operate out of our logic. Paul didn't let the mistakes of his past or what happened in his past determine the success of his future. The second thing that contributes to our shame is when you hold on to it. When you hold on to it. You know, the facts may be true. They just, they just are. That you may have made a mistake. That you failed and you let someone down. Or that something happened to you that negatively impacted your life and has a grip on you today. I think it would be a great disservice to to you for me to tell you that those things aren't real. The consequences aren't real. The fact or failure or heartache may be true, but the shame associated with it says you are a failure. You are a bad person, and you are not worthy of forgiveness, and that is a lie that we must call out. I love it because if Paul who was Saul, who oversaw the murder of so many Christians. If he can believe this about himself, you can believe this about yourself. I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't know if it means as much if anyone else writes it, because Paul lived a life where by our logic, he's not worthy of what Jesus did for him. And listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. What he's saying there is, I am not who I was. I am who God says I am. The old me is dead. I don't live in the pain of my past. I'm moving from it. I'm putting it down because the new is here. You see, the enemy wants to use shame. It wants to use your past to wrap shame, to wrap shame around you. And God uses your past to wrap grace around you. It points to his goodness. The enemy uses your past to wrap shame around you, but God uses your past to tell you, you are who I say you are. And I'm telling you that you are worth it. Some of us need to hear that this morning. You are who I say you are, and you are worth it. You are so worth it that despite the past, I'm sending Jesus to reconcile your mistakes. The third thing that contributes to our shame is when you don't allow God to forgive you and cover your sins. We've gotten so good at convincing ourselves that Jesus' death could cover the mistakes of others, but not our own. We talked about earlier the devil being referred to in Scripture as the great deceiver. And I just want you to ask yourself this. Have I been deceived into believing that I'm too, you fill in the blank, I'm too broken, I've done something too wrong, I've broken the heart of a loved one, I'm too whatever for God to really give me freedom from my past? 
Are you believing that? Continue with what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul comes to God, and he brings God a pain. And, 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 and to preface, we don't know what Paul is speaking about. He, he's talking about a thorn in his flesh, and we, we don't know if he's talking about a physical pain that he's dealing with that he wants God to address. We don't know if he's praying for healing, or we don't, we don't know if there's a sin issue. We don't know if there's an emotional issue that Paul's dealing with. Either way, he comes to God, and he says, I've got a thorn in my flesh, and I, just, I want you to receive it. I've got something holding me back from where I want to be if I could overcome it then I would be strong. And listen to how God responds in one sentence. He looks at Paul and he says, or he talks to Paul and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Somebody's got to hear that today. That his grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul brings a significant problem to God, and Paul clearly has an expectation as to how God should handle it. And don't we do that with our past so often, we bring it to God, and we've been conditioned because of our view of God that God should punish us, or we bring God a pain or a problem. We have an expectation as to how he should respond, but I love what God does to Paul. He doesn't respond to Paul the way that Paul wants him to. He responds to Paul the way that Paul needs to hear it, and the way that Paul needs to understand it, because what Paul needs to understand, that even though he is weak, his God is strong, and his power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. And so Paul can have pain and purpose. Paul can have struggle and purpose. Paul can deal with the pain of his past or the pain of the moment and still fulfill the vision and plan and purpose that God has for his life. Why? Because our God is strong. And in our weakness, he reveals his strength to us. I think some of us need to give God the space and the place in our lives to be strong amidst our weakness. God is not going to erase the consequences of your past. He's not going to give you a, a miracle drug to help you forget. Instead, God is telling you, I know that you're weak right now. I know that you've made a mistake. And listen to me. I'm in love with you. I am in love with you. Let God love you. Let, let, God, let God make you strong today. I, I've, I've dealt with shame in my past. And I, I, at a real young age, 15 or so, I, had, I felt like God was calling me to ministry and I wasn't sure what that meant. I just knew I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And like many of us, I was trying to discover what that actually meant. And I was, so I was pulled into a student ministry at a young age and I was pursuing God and I just felt like God's vision for my life was to point people to Jesus and I would spend the rest of my life or like, you know, become in college figuring out what that meant. And I, I had a good group of friends in high school and I was really the only Christian and, and we hung out quite a bit and they knew me as like the good kid and really I was just like way too afraid and like kind of a late bloomer to be like messing around with all the stuff that they were messing around with. And I just was like, no, y'all are crazy. Like, I don't want to do that. 
um, dropped me off at my house. And, and, and I, had, I was just kind of known as the good guy. And my senior year, I don't know if any of you were successful as blowing through high school as I was. Uh, my senior year, I had a 90-minute class where that's all we did, me and two other guys would make student IDs for all the kids who kept losing them, and, and then we would check kids in and check them out, and that's like all we did for 90 minutes. It was excellent. Well, in that class with me was a guy named John and a guy named Billy, and Billy and I were incredibly close. Like, we were, we were good friends. We could, we could talk about life together. But for some reason, I was always afraid to present Jesus to him. We hung out on the weekends. We tortured his neighborhood at night. I won't tell you those stories, but we did a lot of bad things that you probably did too, so don't judge me. But for some reason, when things got real, I could never bring Jesus into it. And I was torn because I felt like my purpose in life was to bring Jesus to people, but for Billy, I just couldn't. I was embarrassed. I didn't know how he would receive it. I didn't know if word got out that I invited Billy to student ministry, if I invited Billy's family to church on Sunday, that how, how it would spread amongst my friends. But I knew God, I, I've only heard God speak so singularly to me a few times in my life. And this is one of them. And it's, God was saying, Robbie, engage. Gage, I'm, I'm asking you to do something here. And I was too afraid. And I was too afraid. We finished up senior year, and two weeks out of senior year, summer, I'm in Florida, in Jacksonville, Florida, and I'm, I'm washing my hands. Because I just used the restroom. I'm washing my hands. I just remember it. And my phone rings. My, uh, my razor rings. Yeah, is that, was that all tell? My razor rings, and I just, you know, flip it open, and my sister's calling, and she says, Billy's, Billy's gone. Billy's gone. And I just remember dropping to my knees in the bathroom, and I'm weeping, and you can hear people outside of the bathroom. They're like, what's Robbie doing in the bathroom? And I'm weeping, and I said, Bailey, what happened? She said that, you know, he and some pe- my friends <laughs> were out on a boat doing what 18-year-olds do, and having a good time, and a girl fell in, struggling to get up. It was getting serious. Billy jumped in and pushed her on the boat, and he went down, and he's never seen again. And for years, I had to reconcile. And God doesn't need me to present Jesus to Billy. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. But what I knew is I had sinned against God. That God came to me with urgency, Robbie, Point Billy to me. And I was too afraid. And I spent the next few years trying to figure out how my purpose in life could be to point people to Jesus. But when Jesus was yelling at me, I couldn't do it. And for years, I even thought about switching to, I was going to be a teacher. Because I still knew that I wanted to impact people's life. But I thought that I had disqualified myself. From being a pastor. I thought I had, disqual- I had disqualified myself from, from being someone in ministry the way I felt God had called me to be because of an action that I had not made. And I had let God down. And over the years, what, I, what I've learned through pain and through process and through healing, today I take rest. And that the goodness of God is bigger than my weakness. It's bigger than my shortcomings, my disobedience, my sin, my mistakes. 
I don't have to earn God's goodness to cover my mistakes. And you don't have to either. You don't have to either. In fact, you, you can't earn it. The price of forgiveness is too high for you and I to pay. Jesus paid it on the cross. And so transitioning from what contributes to our guilt, I want to talk about what can happen if you're able to just transition from what contributes to our shame to talking about what can happen if you decide to put down the shame. Just put it down. And so for just a moment, I, maybe what you're going through is too difficult to do this, but here I just want to present an idea. For just a moment, consider what it would be like if you were to put down your shame. Just for a moment. The first thing that will happen if you put down the shame is it will change the way you relate to yourself and to other people. When you are consumed by shame, the people around you can only get so close. Because what shame does is it, put a, it puts a chokehold on the potential of any relationship in your life. Your marriage relationship can only grow so far. Your work relationships, your friendships... Shame will build a wall between you and the people who love you the most, and it causes us to hurt so bad that sometimes we don't allow people to help us, and sometimes we hurt the people who want to help us. Brene Brown is a, an amazing author. I would just buy one of her books. I thought about listing them off. Amazon, buy one. She's a research professor at the University of Houston, and she's an author, and she talks about putting down shame all over the world in her books, and even on Oprah, so you know she's legit. She communicates three key ways to assist you in putting down shame. And if you're not taking notes, take notes. Gra grab, grab it, grab the program, pick it up, grab the pen, take notes. Because there, if there's one thing you need to know, it's some practical steps about how you can start putting down your shame. She talks about three things, and they're so powerful. She says, number one, Talk to yourself like you talk to the people you love. Talk to yourself like you talk to the people you love. What, what does this mean? What does this look like? Last weekend, over Memorial Day weekend, we had big plans for Monday. And like all of you, our plans got ruined because of the rain. And I'm stuck inside, my wife and I, with three kids, and they're like going crazy. And so we decide that we're going to make the best breakfast for dinner that's ever been made on the planet. And so we go to Ingalls, and it's just like, yes, get it. And the kids are asking, get it, yes, get it. It's going to be awesome. And so I'm making my world-famous grits, cheese grits. They're the best. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, so I know how they're made. And it, they're just delicious. And one of my kids is making pancakes, and then my two youngest, they're just eating, like, all the stuff that falls around the pancakes because we had sprinkles. Just, they're not helping at all. And so we sit down at the table, and I mean, it's, 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 it's beautiful. I mean, my family is beautiful, yes, but the food is beautiful. I mean, it's, it's the grease and just, mmm. And we start to pass around the food, and you know how it is, family of five, it's crazy. And my son, Makai, gets up and leaves the table, and he opens up the refrigerator, and I just love the way that the mind of a six-year-old works, and it's just that, here it is, I can do anything. <laughs> I, I, I can do anything. I can pick up that entire gallon of tea with my cup in my hand. I can grab it. I know I can. I don't need help with this. 
And so I start to realize what's happening, and it's too late. And Kai grabs that entire gallon of tea, steps back, and just, just like you just think it's going to happen, boom. The entire gallon of tea is on the brand new floors that I just bought two months ago. And that's besides the point. I've, I've dealt with that. <laughs> but he looks at me, and I, I'm not exaggerating. He looks at me with this expression and this emotion, and he looks right at my heart. And let me correct myself. He looks right at my soul and says, Dad, I know you're so disappointed with me. And I was thinking, How? I didn't even know you were saying that word. And he looks at me, and I just, I know, Dad, I know you're so disappointed with me. And I realize in that moment, I can't be mad. This is a moment for him. And so I scoot down to his seat, and I grab his arms, and I say, Makai, I'll never be disappointed in you. This is sweet tea. You, you shot too big, but it, it's, it's just a floor. I love you, Makai. You're amazing. You're going to change the world. All the things, Chelsea and I, we love to speak life into our kids. And so I just reminded him of who he is. And him spilling tea has nothing to do with it. Here's, my, here's what I'm saying. What if you began to talk to yourself the way that you talk to the people you love? I bet you can make yourself feel real good. Because in that moment, tears turned to a smile and, and we embraced and he was reminded of who he is, not because of what he's done, but because how much I love him. What if you begin to talk to yourself the way that we talk to the people we love? Number two is reach out to someone you love. This is hard. I know. I get it. This is difficult. Reach out to someone you love. Shame has to be dealt with together. And here's what I want you to do. This is a challenge. Let people into your story. Let, let yourself be surprised that others don't view you the same way that you do. And some, somebody needs to hear that. Others don't always view you the same way you do. And so let someone in and, and let yourself be surprised this week. And number three is tell your story. Shame cannot survive being spoken. Every chance I get, I've, I, you've heard me talk about anxiety up here, that I, I oftentimes can struggle with anxiety, and I've got systems and things in my life and in place and things I've learned about myself and about who God says I am to help me deal with my anxiety. But what I do the most is I talk about it because my anxiety cannot survive being spoken. The shame I feel from not feeling good enough sometimes cannot survive being spoken. I had a chance this week, a buddy of mine that was in my life group, we grabbed lunch for the first time, and he started talking about things, and I could tell he was opening up, and what he was doing is he was putting his shame out on the table, and he was just trusting me. He was just trusting me, and we left there having taken a step forward, and you know what I did? I communicated my shame to him because it can't survive being spoken. Shame cannot survive being exposed. Last semester, I led a life group called the Freedom Group, and we had a mantra in that group, and it was, you are only as strong as you are honest. It's time to start getting honest with the people around you and to yourself about who you are and who God says you are. The second thing that will happen if you put down the shame is this. It will change how you relate to God. Remember what Matthew says, what Jesus says in Matthew, he says, come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If when you come into the presence of God, you do not feel rest, your view of him needs to shift. It is far past time that we stop allowing the presence of God to remind us of our past mistakes. This morning, take rest in his presence. Bring your burdens and your guilt and your pain and your shame to him and take rest. We must dispel the idea that God wants you to pay for your mistakes. That's not who he is. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God knew the mess he was getting into when he got involved in my life. God knew the mess he was getting into when he got involved in your life. You know, God loved you before your mistake. He loved you during your mistake. And most importantly, he's obsessed with you after. The third thing that will happen if you can put down the shame is this. It will change how you are used by God. And I'm excited about this one. A few weeks ago, my dad had the chance to speak for uh, just a few minutes. My dad is Robbie Denson Sr. He had the chance to speak at one of our supporting churches, Northwood Church. That's the church I worked at for seven years before I joined the team here and moved to Asheville to plant the Gathering Church. And he was asked by Rodney Richard, who's one of my mentors. He's the lead pastor of Northwood Church down in Charleston, South Carolina. And Rodney and I talk weekly. He's one of my great, who I am today is a lot of because of who Rodney is. And we talk with regularity. And, and I want to talk about how putting down the shame can change how you are used by God. But I thought it would be better from my dad. And so I actually pulled the clip from Northwood. And I just thought, who better to share their story than the one who lived it. And so why don't you watch the screen for a few minutes? Yeah, my name is Robbie Denson. Um, a little bit about my confession is um, on September 4th, 1991, I walked into a room, into a meeting I didn't know much about, a drug addict. On September 4th, 1991, that same day, I walked out of there a recovering drug addict. Amen. <laughs> and I had looked back since. Um, but during, during my disease and my addiction, I created a lot of chaos, a lot of stuff that I needed to confess and, and work on. And um, through a 12-step program and, and it leading me back through the back door of the church, I feel like God kind of backdoored me. You know, he got me into recovery, and then he said, I want you back, because he had me as a child, and I was willing um, so I came back in with all my baggage and all the things I've done, um, all the confession things. I mean, I just, I mean, I can give y'all some harsh stuff. I mean, it's just like this church. I am, um, at 16 years old, I had a 15-year-old girlfriend, and she got pregnant. And her and I made a ride to Columbia by ourselves with my income tax money and had that child aborted. I couldn't talk about that 10, 12 years ago. I couldn't mention it. Today I can. Because I don't put dope on that no more. I put the forgiveness for Christ Amen. on that. Um, you know, my wife, nine months pregnant with twins. Well, really, nine months pregnant. The babies were right at seven pounds apiece. I'm out smoking crack. She finds me. 
knocks on the door, cries. I couldn't leave the pipe to go answer the door. Once again, I put dope, more dope on that yesterday, the day after to forget about that. When, Christ, when I walked into the church and I realized what Christ could do through me, to me and through me, I was able to start forgiving myself for those things. I started taking care of myself and my family because my disease affected my kids, certainly, and my wife. It affected my employer, my parents, everybody that came in, in contact with me. And once I got clean, my recovery affected my kids. <laughs> I was able to be, you know, join, be a member of PTA. Never would have happened. <laughs> Never would have happened. I, on the corner I hung out, that didn't happen. I found myself coaching T-ball just a few years later. You know, and then it was me and Tracy. Tracy. Um, she loved me more than I loved myself in the end. Is the only reason I'm here today. She got me. She led me in the right direction, and Christ took me and has done some things with me. And um, it's been more, I mean, my kids, the effect it had on them, I have nephews, several of them, they're out there. I don't know if y'all know, but the disease of addiction is rampant. I have a nephew in, in treatment. Um, I've had to ha tried to help my nephews. I've tried to do everything I can to help them. Um, they're just not ready. But, um, but my kids, because I can reflect on my, my dad's sisters. He had six sisters. They were all addicts. Um, I have four kids, three boys, a girl. They're, none of them are addicts. I, I don't know why, <laughs> you know? We know why. Um, yeah, you're right, Rodney. <laughs> it's nothing I did. It's nothing I did. I mean, you know, I, God afforded me to invest in myself and take care of me with the right kind of motives, and then I was able to take care of the people around me. When I wasn't taking care of me, I couldn't take care of nobody. I wasn't good to anybody, you know? So, um, I mean... That's it in a nutshell, but it's been 20, I've been clean 26 years, and um, it's been a journey. It really has. Um, Let's talk about your kids a second. What are they doing, and how, how did this impact them positively? Well, um, I could t make it a little bit funny. Um, Robbie used to be part of the staff here, and some of you guys may remember him. Um, and he and um, some people, some guys, decided to go to um, Asheville and plant a church. So he's up there doing that. His twin, his twin brothers, not his twin, but his brothers that were twins, they followed him up there. And they had to find jobs, too. So we lost three sons, three daughter-in-laws, and six, six grandkids at the time. And um, okay, I know where I was going. <laughs> well, obviously, Robbie's like the associate pastor at, um, at the church he's at. And I got another son that works in recovery. He's like the administrative um, marketing guy for a recovery house. And I got another one that works at New Belgium Brewery. So I got everything covered in Asheville. <laughs> I got the pulpit, the recovery, and I got the, the brewery covered. So I mean, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I was talking about in the first service. I mean, there, when I was brought up, it was kind of rough. And um, we didn't have the ideal family, but I looked at one in the neighborhood that did. I thought it did. Everything looked really good, and I wanted to have that family. I wanted to be that family. I wanted to be the JoJo was the guy's name that I used to hang out with. And, and today, my family is that family. 
you know, and, and I, I mean, it's, I'm not bragging. I mean, it's, it's God's glory that, that brought this upon my family. People ask me sometimes, I just throw my hands up. You know, we just put one foot in front of the other, try to do the next right thing, not always doing that, you know, coming up short. What about your daughter? You told me an interesting story about her a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you know, that, that story about uh, me and this 15-year-old aborting this child, um, my daughter Bailey, when she was... She was probably 13 or 14, and it was God. I, I realized later, God put it in my heart to tell her that story about me and what, what me and that girl chose to do by herself. Nobody knew. We snuck off and did this. And I, I told Robbie at the same time. And for whatever reason, um, many years later, um, she, got, she was getting married, and it was like a month before her wedding. And I kind of assumed some things, and... She took me and she took me aside and she said, Dad, you know what you told me about what happened between you and so-so? I said, yeah, I remember. She said, well, I just want you to know that I waited. <laughs> you know, she had waited because I, what I'm saying is something, out of something really so bad, something so good and humble come. So, I mean, it was, it's my story, you know, and um, I'm not proud of it, um, but it got me where I'm at today. Amen. Thank you, man. I think that it's safe to assume that ideally every parent wants to be their kid's hero. And my parents nailed it. They just did. But it, it, it could have gone one of two ways. And that, that's, you know, there's a lot. We could have story time with all I know about my dad. There's a lot that he could look back on and be ashamed of. And, for years, that's exactly what he did. And he talked about that idea of putting dope on that. And shame drove his addiction just as much as the drugs. My dad made some pretty big mistakes. Some of them had very real-world consequences, but those mistakes and the shame attributed to them are not what defines him today. And you saw the emotion he had there what, what that's called, just so you know, because it's okay to have it, that's called residual shame. Because oftentimes, shame creeps back up. And so he's communicating his story. And I was commuting my, communicating my story about Billy earlier and what there's shame involved in it. Because oftentimes, shame creeps its way back in. But what we've got to do is put it down. Because while I talked about Billy and he talked about his story and residual shame came up. He said, I don't put dope on that no more. I put the forgiveness of Christ on that. And so there's something we can do with shame. We could put the forgiveness of Christ on that. And because he has chosen to do that, and I always tell people when they ask to hear my story, my story starts with my parents because my story is no story or it's so different without their story. For, because he chose to put down the shame, it's made all the impact in my family. And it's made all the impact in my nephews and my nieces. They get to, the, the movement of addiction and in, in whatever it may be for you, it came to a stop in a head with my family because somebody chose to overcome shame. 
today, my dad lives his life, and my mom, 26 years clean to both of them because my mom was an addict as well. She just wasn't crazy like my dad. But my dad has committed his entire life to helping men who struggle with addiction experience the freedom that he has. I grew up with over a dozen people living with me when I was a kid. My, my parents let some of the most dangerous people sleep in the room next to me because they knew that there was purpose for that person because if there could be purpose for them, there could be purpose for them. And they were willing to risk it because they believed that there's freedom and forgiveness and there's freedom in putting down the shame. I, I am convinced with everything inside of me and if you want to talk to me afterwards, don't try to convince me otherwise that God has a story for you. That God has a purpose for your life. A specific purpose, not an idea, not a thought, not a general way of living. I believe that God has a directive for you. And the mistakes you made, those things are real. The people who hurt you, those things are real, but they don't get to define you. It's time to afford yourself the same forgiveness that God has. And maybe today for you, because shame is something we can pick back up. Maybe today for you, it's just time for you to put the shame back down. That somehow in life, for some reason, you picked up the shame again. Maybe today you're being reminded, I don't have to live in this. Just put it down. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I'll end with this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Make the decision today to put down your shame and pick up your freedom. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you don't think the way that I think and think bigger than I think, and you think forgiveness, and I oftentimes think I don't deserve this, and I, I just pray over the person here this morning who has a, who's just been holding on to shame, and I pray for the person today who's got such a grip on shame that right now, in this moment, God, you would just help them to loosen their grip so that they can put the shame down and simultaneously pick up the freedom and the forgiveness and the belief in who you say they are. And stop believing the lies of the enemy and stop believing the lies of the deceiver and believe the truth that you speak over us, the truth about us that you believe so passionately that you sent Jesus to the cross to reconcile us for those mistakes. God, that we would let the pride go of, of, of God, your, the death of your son can forgive them, but not me. That we would let the pride go and we would let forgiveness and humility seep in. In the name of Jesus.